hey, this is Dumb Dive. I, I don't know why I wanted to do, start it off like that, but we haven't done a proper intro in a while. So. Yeah, <laughs> we usually just start with, so. Uh, but yeah, so this uh, episode, we wanted to talk about maker culture, make a movement, so to speak. And a lot of these things that involve rapid prototyping and how technology has changed recently to enable that, mm-hmm. uh, a bit of what that even implies. I think it's going to be an interesting one. So if you haven't really heard of the maker movement, maker culture, uh, you know, maker spaces, any of this kind of thing, you might still be familiar with what has driven it or the products of it. Because this is a, you could call it a subculture within tech where it's been driven by open source hardware, rapid prototyping from like 3D printers, uh, op- uh, like a lot of open source software and community driven spaces, which allow people to like come up with an idea, uh, 3D print whatever sort of uh, drawings and designs that they had in their head, work with all these tools and solder and put together the electronics and build out a product in a very short time span with a set of skills that's a lot easier to learn than it ever has been in the past because of the various tools that we have to simplify these these concepts, these processes, and uh, the tools that we can use to uh, do so as well. It, it just opens up a lot for these type of uh, going from concept to doing something, whether you want to run it as a business or you're just like trying to modify things that you have lying around at home to make it seem cooler or whatever. I think it also has something to do with, you know, the increasing availability of parts, not counting the last couple of years, um, with silicon shortages and so on. But like, it's, it's a lot easier to get salvaged laptops, salvaged uh, phones and so on and use them as spare parts to create DIY kind of um, machines or, you know, robots and so on. It's, it's just become a lot easier now. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a lot like you have a huge variety of things mm-hmm. that you can you can purchase as well. Like even a few years ago, if you wanted to get into... Uh, learning embedded development which is like you take one of those like uh, robotics boards if I want to use like something a a person who's not in tech would be uh, used to like you would have the Arduino or the Raspberry Pi which again they're very very recent in the in the bigger scheme of things but within the last say three or four years you already have like a hundred or like hundred really popular varieties of these Mm. things and it's just like diversifying and very quickly growing and allowing people to find things that they specifically want to do or like if they just want a general system they have options for that you have things like the raspberry pi or uh beaglebone or whatever there's just a bunch of these products that are lying around that allow people to very quickly learn and do things uh, without having to worry about the hundreds of years of theory and practice that has gone into building that product that's in their hands for like a thousand rupees or even less very often nowadays. Like one of the main things I feel like that really drive this maker culture of like building, uh, bringing people together who have these ideas and want to keep doing things and making new products, whether it's just modifying their own or building new uh, companies and uh, whatever is this uh, community-driven spaces that we 
commonly called maker spaces or hacker spaces mm-hmm. uh i mean like even though they use the word hacker this hacker comes from uh more of an uh, of the concept of taking together existing things and hacking them together to create something new out of it it's not your cyber security uh, like cyber yeah. criminal <laughs> who is like trying to break into uh, someone else's machine this is more of yeah of physical sort of like hacking together things but also obviously a lot of these things these projects do tend to deal with software just making sure <laughs> that no one mistakes this for that uh, for that side of things yeah uh yeah yeah so this hacker spaces are really really fascinating places if you've never been to one it's usually these like uh large workshops you can imagine like a garage and they mm-hmm. have laser cutters 3d printers computers hard uh, hardware and so- soldering labs and a bunch of raw materials and workshops and people who are just interested in like getting their hands dirty and doing things and getting into engineering yeah Uh, at various age groups so there are places which are uh, really getting kids into programming and there's places where uh, adults come there after work and just have a place where they can hang out with other people who are interested in what they love and i think that that community sort of spirit uh, of just making for the sake of innovating and the sort of uh, sense of accomplishment it gives you and rather than just like truly trying to achieve something uh, purposeful or eco- economic driven mm-hmm. uh, through that i think is a is a sort of huge deal why it has grown as a sort of learning experience and community uh, experience yeah i i mean honestly i kind of see some parallels to the kind of car modification and tuning scene in some in some senses because even there it's about taking for a lot of people it's about taking a car that they have like a personal connection with or that they kind of want to up the performance of and then they find you know they either make or find you know kits that they can install parts that they can install ways to modify the bodywork all in the pursuit of either looking really good or you know just driving way better than a car at 10 points it's 10 times its price point like the similarity with maker spaces comes into like this this kind of DIY mentality where yeah you're kind of like making machines suited to your own needs you're customizing it to your own needs and like at the end the responsibility for all of it falls on you yeah yeah i think it comes from that uh, like the sort of like mindset where you are looking at the things that are being built uh, from various companies and you kind of want to push whatever that is to another level it might be anything as simple as a notebook and you want to create like take convert a random notebook into something that's uh works like a kindle and mm-hmm. you can digitize whatever you write on it yeah. or it 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 might be something like a car as well that you want to uh create your own self driving modules that plug into the existing car's hardware mm-hmm. uh th- this mindset of taking the things around you and trying to like sort of figure out where you can change things to improve it to the way that you think that they uh, the existing system is capable with along with some additional tuning and uh build uh that you can do around it is the general mindset so it it, it does tie in a lot with car modification uh with jailbreaking yeah, for yeah. example as well uh which uh jailbreaking basically is like you 
load uh, software onto your existing uh, computer-based devices. It might be a smartphone, might be a computer, might be some other electronic device. Uh, that whose entire purpose of that additional software that you run is so that you can free the locks that the manufacturer has built to prevent you from from accessing certain uh, restricted part of the operating system or certain capabilities of the device, even though they're built onto the hardware. Yeah. So and it's also uh, third third party yeah. app stores and all of that, like things which come, like they don't bypass the. Uh, locks per se necessarily all the time but it's also just giving you availability to maybe region locked content maybe you know something else it's it's all about yeah, I mean, yeah. it's all about user when convenience when you say region right? locked the, yeah the word lock is right there as well yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it, it, it truly is getting around those uh, restrictions not necessarily uh yeah, yeah, what I meant was it's not necessarily not, manufacturer, but it's just either governmental or, you know, yeah, uh, regulationary kind of locks. But locks, no, nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's restrictions of various kinds that you might have on the phone. Yeah. Say, for example, on an iPhone, typically, there isn't too much visual customization that you can do. Mm. Uh, changing the appearance of the icon layout and the, the different menus and all of those things. The general UI of yeah. the uh, iPhone iOS itself can't really be changed out of the box. You have a little bit more freedom on a on a stock Android device. Mm-hmm. So, a person with the iPhone might want, for some reason, just mess around with how their UI looks. A lot of people assume, who are vaguely at least familiar with the jailbreaking scene, assume that it is to commit piracy. It is to install apps that you aren't supposed to be using in your location mm. or uh, try to bypass the paywall to get to certain content. But it's not necessarily that. It's also just having the freedom over the device that you have and also just looking at the device and seeing what more is this capable of? Yeah. What can I do with it? Yeah, I think for Android, it's a bit easier to talk about jailbreaking because routing is a legal thing. Like, you can absolutely root your phone and it won't void your warranty as long as you can restore it to factory settings or whatever. But, um, so when you root your phone, there's like a bunch of modules you can install that, you know, they change the audio codec that your phone runs on um, and they kind of use post-processing and so on to make whatever headphones you're using sound even better. So there's a module for that. There's a module to completely change out the font, the icons, the kind of transitions between um, apps, everything. Like there there are modules to completely customize your user experience beyond what Android itself offers. It's really, really interesting because none of, literally no modules I've used after routing are for piracy. They're literally just to make my phone run smoother and use less system resources than usual. And also sometimes, not all of uh, the reason for routing would be to add on additional. Sometimes you also want to strip out oh, yeah. things that are pre-installed that the the manufacturer doesn't let you remove. Oh, absolutely. Like some people may want to have the Android experience without any of the Google service. Mm. Or, you know, so uh, like there's a bunch of other systems I'm sure you've heard of somewhere where certain things that you might want to remove in terms of functionality yeah, in yeah. air quotes. Uh, but it's just having that complete freedom. I think uh, 
it, it it is on a sort of parallel field of this sort of mindset uh, to the devices that you own, which, you know, like we have, we, we just mentioned uh, the iOS and Apple's historically sort of strict approach uh, towards uh, what a user can do with the, with the device that mm. they buy from Apple. Uh, as in they, it's not really legal or it's in a very weird gray area on your ability to jailbreak and modify the software that Apple has provided. Uh, same way uh, goes for their hardware too. If you have a broken iPhone screen, uh, it voids your warranty to try to repair this, the, the device yourself yeah. until just uh, this week where uh, they've announced that the new newest generation of iPhones uh, come with an open self-repair guide, I think they call it, uh, which we as users can use to repair certain parts of the iPhone. They still haven't made the all of the components uh, available for uh, for self-repair, but this is still a huge step for uh, what we know from Apple, and it's just showing how even Apple can be changed to look at things <laughs> with this perspective just because of the huge demand yeah. uh, from the, the tech space and in general for people wanting to do this. Yeah, loyal listeners will kind of remember that we talked about the right to repair argument and so on. This is basically a consequence of that kind of movement amongst consumers where they feel, you know, we should be able to repair or at least buy the parts and give it to someone who knows their way around electronics without having to go to a genius bar or an Apple store and get everything replaced from them at like a significantly higher cost than what the repair parts themselves would actually cost. Yeah. It's it's that we could call this dumb dies first true sequel true success in the field of uh, technology <laughs> oh. that we have caused Apple to <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> single handedly we are the most influential podcast in the world after all <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah no I so mean, uh, like uh, another like implication of this open uh, self-repair ability for iPhones and other Apple devices, or just other devices in general, mm -hmm. is that like we have small like tech repair, like phone device shops and all of these scattered around the cities and country uh, that as of now don't do Apple products. You need to take it to an Apple store or an Apple authorized retailer uh, uh, service place. Mm. Now, all of those people can offer genuine uh, service for your device, it opens up the market a lot more for who's capable of this. And it also opens up uh, possibly a bit to the third-party modifications as well. When the, the repair guide is made public, people have a better understanding of how these things are stitched together. And I'm not too sure about the legalities of... of third-party hardware and modifications coming in, but whether Apple has allowed it or not, it's just like, it feels like that's the sort of logical step next uh, for this if it's not going to be already allowed. Yeah, I mean, then Apple will only be 10, 15 years behind Android in terms of allowing a lot of these things to happen. But Yeah, but it no, no, no. could also be uh, taking, say, uh, a Lenovo laptop and, and plugging in an M1 Pro chip 
that's not something that's possible right now but it could be but given a, like a good interplay between all of these things it's something that could happen if the corporates are just are like essentially forced into being more open about their <laughs> hardware <laughs> like i don't feel like this is coming out of their genuine interest in wanting yeah, to do this yeah yeah it's definitely from like consumer pressure and so on but no i i i, I do think you know apple kind of went the wrong way after their entire thing with iTunes and becoming the next um streaming service thing after Napster and all crashed um again huge huge amount of history behind that but the point i'm trying to make is apple kind of put themselves as the the vanguards of like consumer um convenience and privacy and so on and slowly they kind of just moved away from that into uh, become becoming more of like a status symbol and like i think now they're kind of getting back to those roots just because of consumer pressure mm. yeah yeah let's we have no idea how this is going to pan out but it's a very interesting and the fact that it happened like barely a month after we spoke about it and we're back speaking about more or less a very similar topic again goes to show how <laughs> how this space is changing like on the daily. No, it goes to show why you should uh, follow Dumb Dive. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. Available everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's another thing uh I read this book uh, a cyberpunk science fictiony uh novel almost 10 years ago it was uh, called Makers by Cory Doctor uh, someone I mentioned at the the same the other episode that we were just mentioning yeah uh, i'll be honest not the most well written book but there's a lot of concepts uh, so the the book is uh, like i mentioned a cyberpunk novel about this world slightly set in the future where everyone has access to i mean not everyone but like it's very very common to have access to 3d printers that can print objects that are not just plastic like we have right now but also uh print objects out of mud and clay and metal and various other things that aren't just uh extremely high cost research or industry grade tech but it's something that anyone can just like buy mm. and keep at home or use at a community lab like a hacker space right yeah so it opens it up uh, as a technology and a capability for a huge number of people and in the book they come up with this concept that they call the new work where basically everyone is constantly uh, innovating they have ideas and then they just build uh, 3d print something laser cut something use woodworking and metal and electronics and all of these things and they just put it all together build a product whether it's a robot or a drone or some uh, smart clothes or like you know literally anything and they just like putting things together it doesn't have to always have uh electronics and software embedded into it but it's just this this massive culture of people just creating and doing things mm-hmm. and it it ends up in this world where one in five people are in this you can almost call it like a like a lifestyle of them just constantly building things trying to create a, a small business out of it sell a specific robot that helps you in your kitchen and then within 5 days it's no longer interesting because someone else has done something better out of it and then they have to work on something else uh it's just this constant grind of constantly trying to innovate mm-hmm. 
and it just creates a completely new economy based around this culture and it they've basically taken this hobbyist maker culture and sort of pushed it to a conceptual maximum uh with as much capitalism grind as you can possibly fit into it mm-hmm. and it is just like a fascinating uh, idea of like what would that essentially mean um the the reason it stands out in my head is cuz the way people are there's only a very small minority of the general public who are actually uh interested or want to be doing constant innovation like mm-hmm. this uh there's a lot of people who want who are who look for different uh facets of life to want like to dedicate their lives to and it may not necessarily be this and in this uh the this fictional world you can only really survive if you're constantly innovating otherwise you're left behind very very quickly and there's nothing for you to do mm. it sounded weird but yet somehow uh relevant to how startups mm. are functioning now but also slightly pushed a bit beyond so i just wanted to yeah so i mean when you were talking about that entire thing right like what what brought it up what brought what it brought up to my mind was um basically it it is an idea economy but the one we have right now is centered more around more around software advances in like the consumer space um i mean of course hardware advances are important and so on but we kind of focus on the idea economy we focus on the idea part of the economy not on like the the innovation and constant like hardware kind of innovation that you were talking about in in the book um but it's it's still very similar in that there's very few people who get into the into our idea economy itself you know as people i mean yeah we see a lot of entrepreneurs and so on but realistically speaking that's still a really tiny percentage of like people in general cuz i i think it's like what one in every 100 or something people become an entrepreneur or want to become i'd say even less than that yeah, to be yeah. honest they want to become an entrepreneur it's probably like one in 1000 who successfully become an entrepreneur yeah and it's it's still a very small percentage of people who really do get into innovation and like creating a new product altogether and then further it- iterating it and so on very yeah. very similar to the situation in uh, makers that you were talking about it's like it, like all all these resources to build you know whatever whatever software whatever platform you're thinking of um for example you know maybe a maybe a food delivery app or maybe a food delivery service altogether like the 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 tools to do that stuff is already out there it's just that very few people are able to capitalize on that and innovate itself you know yeah yeah it, it it's still very similar to um the thing you were talking about in makers but it, it's obviously different because here it's entirely software driven or mostly mm-hmm. software driven versus i think the way you were describing it the the scene in makers is a lot more hardware and robotics driven yeah and a, a bunch of things play into the fact of it being Uh, it focusing more on hardware one is the fact that it came out in 2009 mm. so i assume the author wrote it in 2007 2008 yeah. smartphones were just becoming a thing at that point yeah. like we've yeah. got to remember yeah, that yeah yeah true true so uh until then 
the phone ecosystem was just so scattered. Each manufacturer had their own OS, their own software uh, suite, so to speak. And the software ecosystem was very fragmented and the hardware uh, was another uh, ball game entirely. So at that point, if you were looking at consumer technology, it was just everyone was just doing their own thing yeah. and things were constantly changing. I feel like it, it was right at that curve where things completely uh, switched over to almost everyone using uh, essentially the same hardware, but the software is what makes the difference uh, at this point. I think that we are coming back to that end of the spectrum though on uh, on the consumer side where uh, now A, there is the silicon uh, shortage, but I'm gonna uh, like, other than that, I feel like now robo- uh, robots and you have UAVs and drones and you have yeah. uh, 3D printer technology as well as becoming more affordable. You have those like weird uh, 3D pen, like drawing pens. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, those, but yeah, yeah, my brother uh, has one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have like a pen, uh, and you you put in a filament <laughs> so basically, weird. and then it, yeah. It, yeah, it has a filament that it, it it melts a bit. It's something similar to a soldering iron, but you can uh, extrude pieces of like bits of plastic yeah, yeah. wherever you draw, and you can create 3D objects out of it, or you could just like draw into crevices and create some patterns onto something that you already have, whether it's a notebook or a laptop or whatever. So right. So what they just did with the 3D um, pen that he got was he made like a skeletal structure out of like cardboard and wood and then made a battle mm-hmm. axe out of plastic. Like this is, yeah. <laughs> he just bad. he just covered the, the, the kind of skeleton of the battle axe in this plastic filament. And he's like, oh, here mm-hmm. we go. Axe. <laughs> First thing he did was bonk yeah, me I, on the head with it. As someone who plays d and I would love something <laughs> yeah. like that. It's just like, it takes uh, what I typically do on pencil and paper and I can't draw or write very well. Yeah. So it's very limited. I know it's not going to, it's not going to end up any better if I had 3D tools. But it would at least be But a real I'm just thing, saying, you know? uh, these tools and these capabilities and making it cheaper, making it more accessible, mm-hmm. making it easier to learn. Like the fact that you could just give someone a pen and be like, draw in 3D. Yeah. It, it, it's just such a bizarre thing. They no longer need to understand uh, all the like insane amount of technicalities that go into designing 3D models and CAD and all of that things. It's a bit more uh, getting on like the average person's uh, instincts as people who are very used to writing with, you know, like standard ballpoint pens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for every bit of hardware innovation or physical making, uh, so to speak, there are these sort of changes that are happening that uh, allow people to enter that space without having complete understanding of it. Uh, just as an example for uh, work, I've been doing a lot of like virtual reality stuff. Mm-hmm. I have zero background in computer graphics and 3D and all this like really really technical stuff that you need to build these things but there are these like super straightforward uh frameworks that let you essentially write code as if you're writing a typical website but it creates a 3d scene and you can load it up on a virtual reality headset and that is what is sort of like bridging the gap like that has made it easier for me as a person in tech 
I could not end up making another tool that would make it easier for someone who doesn't even know how to code to build something. Yeah. And that's how this thing has been reducing the barrier of entry constantly and and bringing in more people into the movement. Um I I mean just like the the kind of dev kit that you were talking about that helps you code like a C in a virtual um reality kind of headset. Um mm-hmm. there's a small story about the development of Mass Mass Effect Andromeda which is, you know, okay. one of those video games that kind of launched horribly and then became better. But um so so the big problem for the launch thing was that they they switched engines in the middle of the development cycle. Um and you know mm. they got absolutely stuck or they got like absolutely stuck and this is like 5 6 months away from release. Um where they couldn't make the game function properly anymore. And then one night like a guy in the 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 development team sat overnight and created an entire like dev kit for the frostbite engine which is the engine they switched to and like overnight he finished making a dev kit just so you know others could understand what the engine did and like make use of it to to finish up the game um the reason i bring that up is again it's 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 like a diy kind of kit that this guy yeah. fully instantiated on his own just to make things easier for others so that they can do their work without having to understand the technicalities and like all the intricacies of the engine itself yeah. and it's it's the it's a kind of um it's the way maker culture I, or i won't say maker culture but like parts of maker culture and certain like ideologies from it have definitely been incorporated into like this entire software development and like that kind of um that kind of side mm-hmm. especially more on the side of like games and stuff with mods and on oh yeah yeah it's it's been a big culture in games to allow the user base to to add modifications yeah. we call mods into the game so uh the developers would provide an interface through which the users can write code or bring in their images and assets and audio mm. and 3d models and integrate that into the existing game uh build out new entire can i call them sub games within within the 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 large uh, restrictions of yeah. of the games framework itself so you some of the most uh, popular and, and most played games that we see even today have come out of this culture yeah. whether it's dota uh, defense of the agents which came from a warcraft mode yeah. uh, you have i think like counter strike on the half life engine yeah, yeah. and uh, you have so many games uh, i think uh, the the whole like uh, so now we have the the battleground games you know there were these like uh, survival games like daisy oh yeah 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 where you had people who would end up in a server and if you die you need to restart the game from the beginning yeah, yeah, you yeah. start with nothing and you just explore and find stuff yeah. i i remember like daisy as well was a mod on the ama engine and mm. it's just such a huge culture where people just like users just l- like start building yeah. on top of the existing infrastructure and create their own communities and and movements within whatever is available to them yeah i mean if we're talking about that i think the 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 poster child for mods is either gta or skyrim cuz oh yeah for cause, sure uh, there there are mods on skyrim which like they straight up build an entire new game 
within an already large game like they add more terrain they add like more um lore and story and so on and so forth they add different yeah and when you're talking about that you can't forget about minecraft oh yeah dude minecraft holy hell (laughs) the number of mods for (laughs) minecraft Exactly. But uh, the build, the game is essentially built for modding. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the 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 base game itself is very simple. Like you, like everyone, even if you've never played Minecraft, you've uh, seen those those blocks. Yeah. That the whole concept is it's essentially like Lego in a game. Right. It's in the name. People. <laughs> it's yeah. Mining and crafting. <laughs> That's basically the game. Yeah. So people can take that and design essentially anything that, that you want you have people creating computers and emulators and you have people creating entire universes and art pieces and and uh, reconstructions of entire cities and i think yeah. that all of this only comes together uh, there's a few things that i think that it might be fun to discuss on the sort of building blocks that you need to bring this together yeah uh, one is uh, the sort of interface through which the public can extend ideally legally the product so when you have a game it's this modding engine that has been like openly made available you have documentation from the developers on how other people can integrate Mm. if it's uh, a hardware device it's the entire uh, schematics of the board so that people can if they're not able to purchase it directly from the manufacturer they can take that schematic to uh, their local PCB uh, fabricator put, put onto a board they can pull up the schematic onto their software of choice make some modifications and get that printed mm. it's things like this like first it comes from the person who's made it it might be a company might be an individual yeah. that pub- like creates a public interface through which people can understand what is currently available then it's uh, obviously the community will have to pick that up so you need to have people using it mm. but I think another big part that plays into building that community is open source is this uh, when let's say there's that person uh, who uh, who's working in Mass Effect who d- did that tool that allows uh, all the developers to uh, comfortably transition from the first game engine that they were mm. using to the second one yeah if knowledge that he learned through that process was made open source, it allows anyone outside of the company as well who used to work on Game Engine A to move to Game Engine B. Mm. Uh, similarly, any t- any other information that we have spent building up upon and g- getting a repository and understanding of that, if that is made publicly available on these like. Anything from Wikipedia, I would consider an open source repository of yeah, 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 because of the way it is managed entirely by the community. Uh, someone learns, uh, does some research on some very specific icon in history, and notices that there's a lot of information that they know that isn't available on Wikipedia. Adds it onto it, and now if anybody else looks up that name, Wikipedia is one of the first results that most of us are going to look at. And it's right there. Yeah. If that process of going from the information that we have as individuals is not transitioned to information that's out there for other people to pick up and uh, absorb in, through whatever medium, like there needs to be some way that they can find that without having to do the entire 
uh, work of research that you've gone through yeah i mean it's it's entity knowledge versus community knowledge right like right now we're talking about this entity so be it a, be it a single person or a company they have knowledge but it's it's not yet made open to the community to make use of um it's very much building barriers where there shouldn't be barriers yeah i i haven't heard that phrase uh, entity knowledge or community knowledge before but i think that that uh like if if there is a culture of transitioning from entity knowledge yeah. to community knowledge uh whatever process that is appropriate for that uh field mm-hmm. uh you could take literally any uh sub field any field any community or culture and uh look at something that they're trying to build upon yeah if this this process exists and you have other users who access this information in order to further their own skills about that uh that piece of or like that field or that piece of interest that that uh line of uh, of theory and thinking yeah. then I think that that's the essential like building blocks behind this entire movement. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the the driving force behind a lot of these um movements that center around the user itself, right? Like the modding the kind of modding community if you talk about mm-hmm. um uh Pokémon ROMs. So like there are the there are people who take these old Pokémon games and completely rework them with the newer mechanics um and so on and so forth. you have that you have n number of game mods and then you go on to physical mods where people modify their own game controllers they modify consoles um all of this is around this thing of okay we have entity knowledge we know like okay this is how certain things work this is how say the ps3's processor works and this is how they kind of yeah. translate um code into visuals so how do we modify the hardware itself so it does it better and so you have and you have all these smaller scenes that kind of converge into a bigger a bigger umbrella movement i'd say i still don't have a name for mm-hmm. it but you have like the modding sphere you have the make you have like maker culture you have i'd say even like the entire hacking subculture mm-hmm. uh and you know whether it's white hat or not whether it's ethical hacking or not like you have all these subcultures mm-hmm. which all use the same kind of driving ideology which is you know consumer first or like customer first kind of thing like mm-hmm. our convenience is what matters and once we bought a device it it belongs to us and we kind of can and should be able to um make it work as how we as per our liking kind of thing yeah yeah it's it, it definitely is interesting honestly like i i i honestly never come across a uh, maker culture until you brought it up but yeah i think that even if you haven't like the concepts are applicable to a lot of other yeah. the spaces like you've mentioned right we have kamarding we have all these other places where it's the same essential concept that's happening mm. it's information that is being made more available yeah. so it's easier for people to access that information and most of the time free Uh, or free with the yeah, tool yeah i i mean there are uh, so many there are so many great guides for like making your own custom game entirely using mm-hmm. um you know open source tools or using like company tools that are made public yeah 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 absolutely 
like there are uh, so th- I, I i think that just places uh, like the public places where uh, you get information obviously wikipedia was one mm-hmm. right github is another place where not just for code but there is this uh, thing that uh, they call them awesome lists on on github mm-hmm. which basically these are like community driven like lists of resources related to a specific topic so they have hundreds maybe at this point thousands of lists for different uh, topics most of them obviously because they're on github which is a repository i mean like it's a uh, a place for people to collaborate and share on open mm. source code uh, but people are using that platform to share links to resources so it could be uh topics in computer science it could be how to build a website uh there's awesome list for almost any there's probably an awesome list on on where you can find hacker spaces yeah. near you uh you know what i mean so it's just like these these sort of uh communities that are just coming together because yeah. they want to find this information they want to know where like when the next conference uh like tech conference is going to happen in their city uh instead of trying to build a website from scratch which does take a bit of effort mm-hmm. and is difficult for pe- multiple people to collaborate on they could just essentially have a shared document that is uh maintained and open uh, mm-hmm. with all the sort of tools that th- these version control systems provide that you wouldn't have with a google doc for example but like it's just fascinating there's also uh, that there's also a site called kaggle um which oh yeah yeah, yeah. kaggle's massive yeah, yeah and they have they have like full data sets and stuff that that are completely open source for you to use on in your own personal projects as well as in like community driven um competition projects and so on and it it was so interesting that like i saw so many really really well built data sets on kaggle just free yeah. for us to use yeah it, it's as someone who works in machine learning like that that place is indispensable at this point mm. uh just for building a culture where people we've always been collecting data for different uh, explorations mm. and projects that we do on our own but it's created a place for people to share the data sets that they have yeah. the explorations that they've done with the data set it might be machine learning it might just be statistics that they have found uh, using your standard mathematical uh, means mm. but then it also allows someone else to bring in a completely different approach or like fuse in like combine different of these open data sets and do something new yeah. with it uh, another big one like more recently as just a community driven like effort that is as really only possible because of all of these platforms is uh, the the india's uh, covid uh, covid case tracking uh, website mm-hmm. uh so that entire effort was completely community driven where they would uh every single day or multiple times a day they would get information from each province and each state on the number of covid cases on the number of vaccinations that are happening uh and built they built out a website uh for tracking all of this right the dashboards were much better and much more accessible and easier to understand mm. than the the each state government providing their websites on their local 
state page and then the center having a very brief overview compared to this the amount of analysis that was happening here yeah and uh, i remember that uh, they they announced that none of them have ever uh, had uh, calls like like they've not had like team calls or zoom meetings or met like, of course not even met in person and this is just a completely truly scattered community based approach that has just come together with this like okay it's not truly make a culture but i just think that the fact that these things are happening yeah. <laughs> and this sort of com- community interaction is happening at this sort of speed and this sort of scale because mm-hmm. this is this quickly picked up within a few weeks or, or at most a month from when the first uh, wave of the yeah. the pandemic started and it's incredible that uh, uh we have the tools and the capabilities now to create these self organized uh spaces yeah uh, online and offline i i'd actually say and it still fits within the i, I wouldn't say make a culture per se but it's still part of the ideology you know mm-hmm. cuz like it's it's a bunch of people who came together and they're like okay this is a problem we don't i mean we don't know how else to solve it so let's find the tools that we have and put them together and see what we can do and yeah, yeah it's that's and, and and a lot of it even just started by one person starting off like i want to start building this and another person like you you know what i can also help i have uh say design experience a third person comes like i can just call the hospitals yeah. and find out which hospitals are open uh, like i can do that another much. person's like oh and i can do these statistical to... models to like predict blah yeah, blah blah exactly. yeah it's it's so interesting to see like even without like even without a uh, community knowledge of a lot of like proprietary stuff which mm-hmm. i guess fair enough patents and so on but even without community knowledge of a lot of proprietary stuff there's still so much available you know for yeah. us to just work with and um, you know the cha- the the changes by apple you know the the kind of increasing um user base of linux and like other open source softwares it 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 leads me to believe that someday there will be like a truly widespread amount of community knowledge beyond what we have now and you know i i can't wait for that to happen just imagine yeah it's so interesting to think of you know these subspaces where it's entirely just driven by you know people who want to solve some problem and pick up whatever they have around their disposal and just say okay yeah. i have these things what can i what can i make from it you know yeah. it's it's very much something that can only develop in like a very consumer or, or like a very consumer centric kind of um, approach where mm-hmm. you and your um ease of use and your needs are all that matter it's kind of um yeah it's kind of uh, inverse capitalism i'd say at some level it's like a combination of like like running all the way directly into the heart of capitalism but also like all the way in the opposite yeah, direction yeah yeah it's like a it's at the same time both Yeah it's like inverting the kind of pyramid that capitalism has built where it's like oh no 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 right. the consumers are all the way at the top you know because it's the widest base and then the corporations yeah. kind of just have to feed upwards to like make the consumers the most powerful yeah and the reason i said it's you're like completely embracing capitalism is because yeah. that's the only way this would make sense <laughs> is the fact that everyone has completely accepted that they're going to have to 
they're going to have to buy from the corporates. They're going to have to use these things. They just want, it's just that it's a shift to wanting the best. Yeah. It's yeah. as simple as that. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's such a nebulous field also. You can never really tell, you know, how things are going to go. Especially with, yeah. especially with hardware and software related tech stuff. You can never really tell. I th- you never know. In a few years, we might have completely uh, community organized, say, a social network or something where it's not. What I mean is, like, let's say the you have Twitter, but uh, I decide that the tweet button is a bit too wide and decide to shorten yeah. it a bit. And that change, uh, like, just it, it, this is, is globally affected to everyone who uses Twitter. And it's just like constantly, like, tweaked and nitpicked by each person and they change how it is for themselves as well as for the public and you can use uh, whichever version of Mm. Twitter that you want but it all links onto the same platform Uh, I I know I've just described Mastodon but (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, I mean you've also described a bunch of third party like um, social media kind of hubs where you can use mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram all on like one app. Yeah. Because they, all they do is kind of like dynamically um, interpret the web page itself. For yeah, each yeah. yeah. But it. Exactly. So I, I just think that it's very possible because of the way that we <clears> see things like wikis yeah. work for documentation. You could very easily have consumer fo- if, uh, facing apps that also allow people to completely modify things, you know, like the old. Uh, actually, I don't know if you've ever heard, but like this rain meter for desktops, which people would just like do weird things with their desktop and stuff. Like it might be possible to, get to make a resurgence. You never know. I, I'm just excited to see where this space goes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good place uh, in general to uh, close this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And as usual, um, we mentioned it earlier as well, but uh, follow us everywhere. We're on. Instagram, Instagram is where we're most active. Also on Twitter, uh, we post these to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, RSS feed that you could pull on any any device. If you still have an iPod Classic, you could listen to us on that as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on a Sony Walkman, uh, an MP3 player that you built out of uh, an Arduino and a DAC chip that you built yeah. uh, from some components reordered in from Shenzhen. We work on that too. We should work on that. And if <laughs> if it doesn't reach out, we'll we'll figure out a way to get it working on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so follow our socials uh, and tune in next time to see what we talk about. And as always, it's us. Yeah, it's us. Mm-hmm. We're signing off. Thank you for listening. I'm Arvind. And I'm Pranav. Yeah. <laughs> nice.